Aaliyah Bilal has the Midas touch. Everything she's touching these days is turning to gold. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. She is a finalist for the 2023 National Book Award for Fiction. And that is a really big deal for any book, much less for a debut book. Aaliyah Bilal's short stories follow black American Muslims who were members of the Nation of Islam around the 70s. And, and get this, she didn't have an agent, that is, did not have an agent, or any publishing connections when she sent her work to Simon and Schuster after an open call for submissions. And here she is now on the Tavis Miley show as a finalist <laughs> for the 2023 national book award for fiction. The book is called temple folk. And I am delighted for the hour to talk to the author of that text, Aaliyah Bilal. Aaliyah, how are you today? I'm fine, sir. Thank you for having me. It is my great delight to have you. Uh, and congratulations on the book. Congratulations on being a finalist. Does this, uh, I guess the, this is the best place to start. Does any of this feel uh, surreal for you? It does. You know, I am so isolated. I don't really have a sense of how people in the world are reacting to this news. To mm-hmm. me, I, I feel sort of like Nervous, but also every day is pretty normal. Nobody <laughs> at the grocery store seems to recognize me, so I'm. It's just a normal. It's very normal over here. Yeah. When you when you when you said you're isolated, is that is that by choice or by chance? What did you mean uh, when you say when you said you you you're, you're somewhat isolated? Um, I think the work really favors solitude, and so I tend to keep to myself. It's just um, the best circumstance to be receptive to creative energy I feel is um, when I am apart so yeah I am um, I tend to keep to myself <laughs> mm-hmm. is that is that um, is that um, your way is that your lifestyle or is that the way you operate when you're in the midst of writing so are you are you typically a person uh, who who stays to, to herself or is that just when you're trying to push out your creative stuff yeah it's really when I'm being creative I've been out to sea for so long it's really time for me to come back to the shore Mm -hmm. it's pretty lonely out here but um no i only do this when it's when i'm being creative yeah yeah so so tell me i i I try to give the audience some sense uh, even as i was laughing through it and i was laughing because it's just it's such an amazing story uh i've written uh i've never been a a national uh book award finalist but i've written what 23 24 books a number of new york times bestsellers so i know something about what it feels like to push out one of these babies and to have it do well and get on the times list. Uh, I know something of that, uh, but your story is so phenomenal. I mentioned again moments ago that you didn't have an agent. Um, you didn't have any publishing connections. You responded to an open call for submissions for Simon and Schuster. And here you are as a finalist for, for the national book award for fiction. So, so just tell me, take, take a moment to tell me a bit more about how that story developed. I, I just gave the short version of it, but how did that really roll out? Yeah, I love telling this story. So I um, was in the midst of a pretty um, difficult personal circumstance, and I really was not in the world. I was very much to myself creating this work. Mm-hmm. But my sister, who was like a lighthouse to me in those days, she would literally bring me food. You know, she was really taking care of me. And one day, she sent me a screenshot of this announcement that this new editor at Simon & Schuster had that he was looking for submissions and you didn't need to be agented, just send your work. Mm-hmm. And my sister said, Leah, you really have to send him something. You're writing like it's a full-time job. Why don't you do it? 
And I looked, and there were thousands of people who'd responded to this announcement. And I said, oh, my gosh, who am I to believe that he'll ever see this? But just in case my sister follows up with me and says, did you send it? I'll just put something together. And so I spent an hour putting together a manuscript, and I sent it off knowing for sure, you know, he's never going to reply to me. About a week later, I was listening to the verses. It was Eileen Butters versus Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm a huge Eileen Brothers fan, and so I'm just rocking out to the Eileen Brothers, and I get this ding on my phone saying the editor was following me on Instagram, and I thought, that's so weird because there's nothing particularly cool about, you know, what I have on my Instagram page. And um, so I just go back to listening to the music. And I looked in my email, and there was a message from him saying all of these glowing things about my writing. And then I read the title after reading the email, and it said, I want to be your editor. And I think it was so (laughs) wonderful. It was just this wonderful moment for me where I'd been through this really hard time in life, and then it just felt in that instant like I was above the clouds, and it was sunny again. Mm. So it was really wonderful. There, there, there are three or four things uh, that you've just said now that I want to interrogate when we come forward. Uh, this is going to be a great hour, and we've had some hard conversations of late, given all that's happening in the world. And it is just a relief for this hour to hear the beautiful story of how this uh, brilliant writer uh, has now come to the attention of the nation, indeed the world. She's a national book award finalist, and just to hear the joy in her voice, and you can hear the humility uh, that comes with uh, with her with her genius. Uh, and I, again, am just honored to have this hour to talk about Temple Folk, the new book, the debut book from Aaliyah Bilal, right now on Tavis Smiley. And see what happens when you listen to the Isley Brothers? This stuff happens to you, but this stuff, when you listen to the Isley. The City Council. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. I was saying a moment ago that when you listen to the Isleys, good things can happen. Uh, Aaliyah Bilal was listening to the Isleys. She loves the Isleys and was listening to them when she got word from Simon & Schuster. Uh, they were going to take her book. Uh, it is now out. It's called Temple Folk. It's her first book, and she's a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction. And so because she loves the Isleys and I love the Isleys and everybody loves the Isleys, we're going to play some Isleys. A uh, good excuse to play some good music throughout this hour. So we're going to play a couple more Isley tracks. Uh, Ron Isley and Ernie Isley were guests on this program not long ago. In fact, love Ron, love Ernie. Uh, of course, we just lost one of their brothers um, not long ago. And so uh, I know they're still in grief about having lost uh, their brother, but uh, the Isleys have done some great music. Hard to hard to, to tap that soundtrack, uh, to match that soundtrack. For those who saw that verses between the Isleys and uh, the Elements, Earth, Wind, and Fire, it was a good one. Uh, and so that's what uh, Aaliyah was listening to when she got word. Uh, so maybe maybe what you should do is listen to some 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 Elements or some Isleys, and something good happened to you today, uh, like it did for Aaliyah. Um, so Aaliyah, you said a couple things a moment ago <clears throat> that I want to come back to right quick. And let me preface this by saying uh, I certainly understand uh, the way you framed it and phrased it. If you don't want to talk about the hard time that you were enduring 
uh, when you pushed this book out and your sister was sort of taking care of you. So I, I understand that, and I, you don't need to go there if you don't feel comfortable going there. But I do want to ask you to look back on that because clearly what came out of that was this book, Temple Folk, that everybody's talking about now. So whether you go there or not, can you give me some sense of how you look now back on that moment and what that moment wrought for you in your life, if that makes sense? Yes, sir. I uh, look back on that time and see it as a great blessing in my life. It was Mm. a clarifying time, and it was a time for me to sort of make some decisions about how I wanted to spend the rest of my life now that all of these new realities were front and center for me. And um, everybody knows what I went through because it's all the same storm. You know, Mm -hmm. it looks different in everybody's life, but it's the same storm. And when the storm comes, we learn to greet it with grace, to try our best to survive it, and if we do survive it, to learn whatever we can from the storm and take those lessons forward. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I look back at that time, I think, you know, I really did the best that I could not to let circumstances bring me down, but to lift me up into some greater energy. Mm. I want to ask you in a moment what you learned about riding the storm, uh, as uh, as you put it. Uh, my mind, uh, your book is about Muslim Americans and certainly those who were members of the Nation of Islam around the 70s. We'll get into the book in a moment ago. So I am not a Muslim. I am a Christian. Uh, but it, it reminded me, uh, you're talking about the storm of a song we sang in my church, a little, little, little gospel song that says, there's a storm out on the ocean and it's moving this away. If your soul is not anchored in Jesus, you will surely drift away. Even if you're not a believer, um, if you take the word Jesus out, the point is that there are storms in our lives that are coming. And if you ain't had one yet, you ain't lived long enough. But trust me, there is a storm out on the ocean and it's moving toward you. And if you're not anchored to something, then you will surely drift away. And for many people, that anchor is Jesus or whatever they believe. But you got to be anchored to something when these storms in your life come. Otherwise, you drift away. So what did you learn about what you were anchored to? And what did you learn about riding the storm when it came? Because to your brilliant point, uh, the storms look different for us. But every one of us has to endure these storms in our lives, Aaliyah. Oh, that is so true and poignant. What I learned about myself is that I have a lot of fortitude and power, you know, that um, it wasn't my nature to let circumstances turn me into an ugly person. You know, I had an inner strength that was there guiding me all along, telling me what I needed to do Mm -hmm. to bring myself out of that state that I was in. And the work really helped ground me in something beautiful. It was a space in my life where I had control. And, you know, I could, in the few hours every day that I was working, I could occupy myself with something other than my troubles. And um, every day I just spent a few hours focused on beauty, focused on these gifts that honestly were really flourishing in that, um, in that space. And so, again, like I look at it, I look back on it and know in the moment that it was painful, it was very heartrending, and so many things. But looking back, I just see that the beauty of that opportunity that I had to really just focus on my gifts. Mm. 
This, this is the problem you talk to great writers. Every time they say something, um, you, you want to interrogate it because they keep dropping these gems, these drools, or dropping bars, as they say, and i got to go back and pick them up. Uh, I, I want to ask you, uh, again, in retrospect, what you learned in that moment, uh, to use your phrase, uh, about resisting becoming an ugly person. I was counseling a friend of mine just the other day. Uh, and I think, you know, when you when you endure something, uh, you, you learn something from it and you pass those lessons on to help others navigate their lives, uh, not with arrogance, but with humility. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who was asking advice and sharing uh, some drama that they were enduring. And I, I was sharing with them a chapter that I wrote in one of my books. And, and the chapter is titled, Even When We Are uh, Justified, We Have to Remain Dignified. That life puts us puts us in situations sometimes where we are justified in being ugly. We are justified in responding in kind. But even when you're justified, you want to remain dignified. Not always easy to do. But even when you're justified, you want to stay dignified. Here you come now talking about how you had to resist this temptation, this pull to become an ugly person. What did you learn about how to resist being an ugly person? It really wasn't so much about resisting it. It was allowing my natural personality to come forward. It's not within me to turn a negative circumstance and allow it to make me ugly. I Mm -hmm. do think that personality and temperament will dictate how each individual responds to circumstances in life. And it's really not my place to judge how people, you know, react when bad things happen. But something that I learned about myself is that I will try to convert adversity into beauty. It's just part of my nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I would recommend it, certainly. I wouldn't want anybody to go down an, a route where, you know, something bad happens and you feel the need to act out, you know. There are some lessons that we can learn, even if we don't survive the storm bodily. Mm. You know, we can we can triumph in the spirit. Mm. Um, everything she says is prose. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scribbling stuff as fast as I can uh, because it's it, it's so rich already, and I'm just 20 minutes in. Uh, but I love that line that uh, about turning adversity into beauty. That's that's the challenge. That is the challenge for each and every one of us. Can you turn the adversity you are up against right now? I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody. Um, whatever adversity you are encountering right now, the challenge is to find a way, as Aaliyah Bilal just said, to turn that adversity into beauty. She did it, and you can do it too. Turn the adversity into beauty. Um, have, have you have you always wanted to be a writer? Uh, was that always, um, you think, you're, you're calling your vocation? And I ask that in, in part again because we established earlier some of this writing you you were pushing out while you were going through this this hard time as, as you as you referenced it. So it, it is has writing always been 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 your muse? I would say so. I actually began my creative creative and artistic life as a violinist and violist. Mm-hmm. But I was never better than mediocre, frankly, at those art forms. I can read the notes, but it doesn't sound like music when I play. And it was always this heartbreaking part of my life because all of the kids I was surrounded with were these excellent virtuosic violinists and violists. And mm-hmm. there I was mm-hmm. playing like, you know, it sounded just horrible. And um, <laughs> I felt the weird thing that happened to me is I was I was always bookish. But when I got into high school, I always won all the essay contests that I entered. I won every single one of them first place. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember I was sharing some writing with a friend of mine, and she told me I was 18 years old. She said, girl, you're a writer. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, what if I am? I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to think of it at the time. I wasn't thinking in terms of career. I was like, how do I get into college? Where do I want to do with my life? But as I went into later into my 20s, it became more and more clear that everything about my personality, everything about the way that I, my life was coming together, that I really was coming into this writerly identity. And it's just been a slow process of accumulating the skills that I needed to do it at a very high level. Mm. I, I was laughing internally, Ali, when you were telling that story because I had a similar moment in, in my life. Um, I... Um, um, I was a, I was a baseball player and I was, a, I was a little better than you. I was a little better at baseball than you were at the, at the violin or the viola. Uh, I was a pretty decent baseball player. Uh, but it finally, uh, occurred to me, uh, in my early high school years that as decent a baseball player as I was, and I had dreams of being a first baseman in the major leagues. I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, and when I was growing up, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, won two world series back to back in the big red machine. And so I had dreams of being a first baseman in the major leagues. That's where that was my first big dream in life. And it, it finally sort of occurred to me as a freshman um, heading into my sophomore year that I didn't think I was a little better than mediocre, but I, I wasn't good enough to go pro. And I look back on that. I don't know how I had the, the wisdom at such a young age to realize that I wasn't good enough then to become a pro and I didn't want to chase this dream for the next, you know, 10, 12 years trying to get to the pros. Um, and I, I focused on what I was good at and it happened to be running my mouth. Uh, and so I, I got off the, I got off the baseball team and I joined the speech team and I joined the debate team and the rest, as they say, is history. I ended up on a, a debate scholarship at Indiana university. And here I am all these years later, uh, the media person that I have become, but I, that it was born of a decision that I made early on, and I realized I wasn't really good enough to do this at the highest level. And again, I, I'm just grateful to, uh, to God that I kind of kind of figured that out in a, at an early age, as opposed to chasing this pipe dream that likely would never have happened for me because I wasn't good enough to do it at that level. And I didn't want to chase that for years. So I, I changed my direction to the thing I was good at. You changed your focus to your writing. And, and here you are, a National Book Award finalist for fiction. So there's something, again, this conversation in so many ways is instructive and informative and I think inspiring and empowering for people listening because we ain't even got to the book yet. I'm just talking about her life <laughs> and, and, and and what 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 brought her to this book uh, that we'll talk about uh, for the rest of the rest of the show, rest of this hour. That is, uh, again, if you tuned in just now, her name is Aaliyah Bilal. The book is called Temple Folk, and she, uh, in her very first book, her debut book, uh, without an agent. <laughs> Uh, is a finalist, again, for the National Book Award for Fiction, and that is a big, big deal. And uh, her name is Aaliyah Palau, and I'm honored to have her on this program. Aaliyah, let me ask you this uh, right quick, and we'll move forward and get more directly into the into the text. The, the first thing that jumped out at me about this, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, the Nation of Islam does not often appear in literature. And I ain't talking about the final call. I'm talking about uh, literature uh, about them. Uh, they don't. They don't often show up in literature. They don't show up as protagonists. They are not the subject of a lot of stuff. Uh, and you, I think, uh, this is my 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 word, not yours. There's a risk uh, in writing uh, these beautiful stories that you've written, but still a risk writing about the nation of Islam. Again, given that not a lot of stuff is written about them. So tell me how that decision uh, came to be. 
Well, I needed to write this book for my own sake because this is part of my family history. Mm-hmm. And just growing up in this culture, I'm obviously African American, but I don't relate in a very uniform way to what's projected in the media about African American life. And I just felt there was this huge gap in representation where I, that I needed to fill, I should say. And the longer, you know, I have spent on earth, the more desperate I have been for stories that reflected my own life. And, um, so that's part of why I couldn't really think about the risks. I felt that my life depended on telling these stories, whatever the risks were. I could tolerate that as long as I could get the stories out. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say that um, you had to do it for your for yourself and to, to to tell stories that that you were familiar with, does that mean that even though it's a book of fiction, that any of this stuff is in somewhat in some part autobiographical? No, sir, not in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I just feel it's beneath the craft to write about real people's lives. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of tell when you're reading a book when the details come from the life because the writing becomes very granular Mm -hmm. and it gets really muddled plot, kind of goes out of the door. And so I I think that it's um, pretty clear that the stories are invented. They're completely invented, but they are grounded in this history. And a history, a, a rich history it is, and we'll delve more into that history when we come forward. The book is called Temple Folk. Uh, the author of that book is our guest in this hour. Her name is Aaliyah Bilal. Uh, I repeat once again because I'm so happy for her. Um, she is a finalist for the 2023 National Book Award for Fiction. It is her debut book, so don't tell me what can't happen when you uh, assign yourself to do the work that you have been called to do. More with Aaliyah Bilal when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Sounds Sounds different, different. huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Alia Bilal was listening to uh, the Isleys when word came that Simon & Schuster was uh, going to accept her manuscript. And that manuscript uh, is out. It's a book called Temple Folk. uh, And uh, Alia is now a finalist for the 2023 National Book Award for Fiction, and so in tribute to her, <laughs> to, tribute to her uh, and her love for the Isleys, we've been playing some Isleys uh, throughout this hour, and they sound as good now as they ever did. Uh, and uh, Alia Bilal is our guest in this hour, and I'm delighted to have her on. Um, again, I want to go right inside the book, The Temple Folk, and I, I was asking <clears throat> a moment ago how you came to write about these black Americans who were uh, Muslims and members of the Nation of Islam around the 70s and the risk that one takes in doing that given what we what we know that people think of when they think of the Nation of Islam uh, and Elijah Muhammad and, um, and, and why there's not been a whole lot written about them uh, in literature. And, and I, I want to ask now, um, speaking of their lived experiences and your lived experiences, uh, do black Muslims um, grapple with faith and family and freedom in ways different from the rest of us black folk in this country? I think the ways are only distinct because of the cultural differences that come or that are attached to the belief system. Mm-hmm. In all other ways, I think that we are grappling with these issues in a similar way. You know, we're we're black people, and so we still face the same kinds of discrimination. 
that other African-Americans face, but we are confronting that through this lens of Islam on the one hand and then on the other hand of black nationalism where there's a bit of a strident presentation before these social realities. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think the signature is authentically American but culturally distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, this book um, obviously centers around 10 stories uh, that contribute to, you know, these diverse narratives about black life. Um, what, what do you, what do you think that readers are going to learn about the complexity of black life? To your point, I mean, you these, these, these black Muslims are still black folk, but there are some distinct differences about the ways in which they have to navigate their journey. Uh, and I'm wondering, um, given that, you know, those distinct differences and these diverse narratives, what you, what you hope readers will take away about black Muslim life in America during this time period, specifically related to the Nation of Islam? Yeah, I think one of the most important takeaways from the book is that these are just African-American people who are trying to live. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to make it in America with some dignity, with some grace, with a sense of the divine. And also another important thing that this book contributes is that it offers an insight into the experiences of women in this movement. Mm. There are lots of stories that do get told about the Nation of Islam, but we tend to focus on these larger-than-life figureheads of the movement. Mm -hmm. And so we see repeated narratives of the lives of Malcolm X. We see multiple narratives of the life of Muhammad Ali. Um, Oftentimes people talk about Elijah Muhammad, but it's very, very rare that these works, these films, etc., that we are engaged with ever focus on the lives of African-American Muslim women, and Mm -hmm. we have a particular take on this history. And so I'm very proud to say that I've contributed um, the first stories about Mm -hmm. that go into some depth about the lives of African-American Muslim women. You frame it as a a particular uh, take. What, What is, to your mind, that particular take that women bring to this narrative, to this story that you hope you've um, you put forth uh, on the pages of this book, Temple Folk? Well, I think um, we encounter many of the same phenomena that women in the Christian church encounter, where we make up large numbers of the membership, but oftentimes our voices go unheard. And so the question can be, you know, what are the interior lives of African-American women in religious spaces, we've seen narratives that explore what that looks like in Protestant Christian spaces, but never before have we really gotten an opportunity to really look at the lives of African-American Muslim women and see how they are encountering, encountering, I should say, uh, these realities of um, patriarchy, let's say, um, head covering, you know, what are the politics of hair covering in, in Muslim communities? How do women negotiate that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like this. So there are lots of, I think, subjects that people bring to Muslim women. Um, you know, how do you feel about your status relative to what if your husband wants to take another wife? You know, these are the kinds of questions that you get. Mm-hmm. And I think this book will do something to help answer some of those queries. Yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I am not human and divine. Uh, no surprise there. I'm just. I'm. Just, I'm, I'm just human, uh, and in this human space, uh, this human body that I in- inhabit, I am trying every day 
to shrink the distance between what I say and what I do. Uh, I, I want to always uh, be about the business of doing what I say and saying what I do and, and not having uh, much space between those two things. And one of the things that you do beautifully in this book is sort of through these characters uh, get at this issue of the things that we profess and the things that we practice. Um, I wonder if you might say a word about that without giving too much away. It's always hard when you're talking about fiction because you can't give the story, <laughs> you can't give these stories away. Uh, but I, but I wonder if you can say a word about about that and the way you approach it. This 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 this, this issue that we all wrestle with of prof- professing certain things, but our our practice, our praxis, oftentimes is different. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it just goes to the core of our nature as human beings. You know, we can say that we believe lots of things, but we have a personality, and personality is really primary in the way that I conceive of the self. And religion comes into our our lives like um, clothing. You know, it's something that we adorn ourselves with, but that we can try and we can try to approximate uh, some kind of adherence, but we're only getting close. We are never, we never quite embody the beliefs, you know, we do our best. And so people are going to be themselves in religious spaces. So Mm -hmm. if you have any sort of predilection, you'll just be a Muslim person with that predilection, or you'll be a Christian person with this other predilection. And um, I think if it were otherwise, the stories wouldn't really be fun to read, you know, because mm. we'd be talking about automatons just living out these beliefs without any complexity. So, yeah, that's just part of part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her name is Alia Bilal. <clears throat> her book is called Temple Folk. It uh, is a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction uh, 2023. And there's a great deal more I want to uh, unpack with uh, with. Uh, with Alia when we come forward, I, I'm, I'm, I've been dying to ask her. I wouldn't say dying, I'm not dying, but I'm anxious to ask her. Thank God I'm not dying. But I, I'm anxious to ask her about her editor. And, and well, I'll tell you why when I come forward. I, 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 it's, it's fascinating what she's produced here. Uh, and to have entered, you know, to responded rather to, a, to an open call for submissions and to end up with a book that's this beautifully produced uh, with an editor who apparently got it. I know nothing of her editor, but to have an editor who gets it. I mean, it's one, it's it's hard enough to get editors to get black life, period. But you start writing about black American Muslims <laughs> in the Nation of Islam around the 70s, and you, you hope to find an editor who gets that and who can who can relate to the humanity in those stories. That's a big deal in this industry, trust and believe. We'll talk about that when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Ali Bilal is our guest in this hour. Her book is called Temple Folk, uh, and uh, we have uh, been empowered and enriched by this conversation already, and I want to get a few more things out before I lose her at the top of the hour. Um, So you heard me mention um, a moment ago, Ali, that I wanted to ask about about your editor, because um, when I got this and started going through it, I'm like, okay, having done this a few times, um, she has an editor that uh, appears to have gotten it. And again, when you consider that you were responding to an open call for submissions, you end up with somebody uh, working with you on this book to bring Temple Folk forward. Um, again, I know all too well the travails and the troubles that one has trying at times to get certain editors to get the stories they're trying to tell. you got 10 short stories here. But to really wrestle with the humanity 
of these characters, of these black characters, isn't always easy. Can you tell me a part about that journey and uh, apparently how fortunate you were in the end? Absolutely. Yeah, well, Yadon Israel is my editor, and he has a really unique story. I, I don't know. if It's not really my place to really tell um, mm-hmm. his story, but he uh, is a Jewish, African-American Jewish man, um, and so he knows a lot about what it means to be a religious minority mm. in Black America. And he comes from an urban environment, Brooklyn, New York. And so he is very, he's been exposed to this culture, you know, because the Black Muslim experience is pretty spread out, but it really is a northern urban sort of phenomenon. And like you have to be in a Washington, D.C., in a Chicago, in a Detroit, in a New York City to really see these communities and all of their dynamism. And so I think he was probably just curious, having grown up around these spaces with like five percenters, Muslim Islam people, Sunni mm-hmm. Orthodox Muslims, and said, you know, well, there's this manuscript that's finally addressing that. And so I think it was just divine, mm-hmm. the coming together of somebody like me and somebody like him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is These obviously, these 10 short stories um, uh, make up this book, Temple Folk. Um, it's, it's your debut collection, but is, is there a way that you would define the collection? Is there a through line here? Just trying to give again, without giving too much away, giving, giving readers a sense of what they're going to, what they're going to see when they get inside the pages of Temple Folk. Is there a through line? How would you describe the collection as it were? Absolutely. I think there are a few. Um, the major one is really my attempt to try to situate the African-American Muslim experience as a part of the larger story of African-American religion. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at Elijah Muhammad's movement, the Nation of Islam, and how after his death, it transforms into a Sunni Orthodox movement. And people are evaluating their memories of their times in the Nation of Islam during the 1960s and 70s. And then their children, who only know Sunni orthodoxy, they are looking at their lives within this religious community, wondering how they are going to renegotiate their relationship to their faith as they discover things about themselves. And um, so that's a major through line, you know, just how does Mm -hmm. this um, movement connect to the larger story of African-American religion and looking at African-American Muslims by and through the history of the Nation of Islam yeah. and um, Elijah Muhammad's movement. Our remaining moments with uh, Alia Balaw when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. It does indeed. Just a few minutes left here, about three minutes left with uh, our guest, uh, Alia Blau. Her book is called Temple Folk. Uh, it is her debut book. Um, and for debuts, I've said repeatedly, uh, to be a finalist for the National Book Award 2023 for fiction uh, is uh, is a big deal. Uh, and uh, I believe, uh, Alia, the book award uh, winners are announced next Wednesday. So just a few days away, about a week away from the winners being announced, but it seems to me on so many levels that you've already won. I'm, I'm rooting for everybody black. I want everybody black to win. So I'm, 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 I'm pulling and praying for you <laughs> next Wednesday. But it seems to me, given the story that you share with us in this hour of what you were going through, what you had to endure, that difficult time of your life, um, responding to 
uh, an open call for submissions. I mean, the story itself is is just an amazing story. Uh, and uh, on so many levels, it seems to me you've already won. That's my read. How, how are you processing this moment? I don't really know what to feel. I really <laughs> don't know what to feel. I'm very, very grateful. Mm-hmm. And um, because of the controversial nature of the book, um, or the perceived controversial sure. nature of the book, sure. I didn't have that many hopes, frankly, even going into the process. I was just so grateful to have been plucked from obscurity and, and published in the first place. I didn't really know how far it could take me. And so I'm trying to be present in the moment and to enjoy this experience. I have some hope, but, you know, with everything happening in the world, you know, we, we don't know. And so, you know, I'm just trying to connect with people that see the work for what it is. It's really beautiful. It's not trying to malign anyone associated with the movement. It's really just trying to tell the stories of people who were associated. And there were there was a diversity of opinions, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I just would like people to see the beauty that I meant to share with you. You know, not everybody is going to love this book, but I do think that this will meet the needs of certain readers. Yeah, well, and, a, lot, um, a, lot of folk yeah. Are, a lot of folk are loving it, uh, including yours truly, and I've been honored um, by the opportunity to spend this hour with you. Um, she uh, mentioned being plucked from obscurity. She is obscure no more. <laughs> when you put out your first <laughs> book uh, and you get uh, this kind of high praise and you are a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction, uh, you uh, are obscure no more. And so it's the first. It will not be the last. Uh, that I'm talking now about the book. It's the first book and not the last, and I hope not the last conversation that I will be honored to have with uh, Alia Bilal uh, in the coming months and years as she continues to push out what I am certain is going to be some pretty amazing work. Uh, congrats on the first one, uh, uh, and I look forward to talking somewhere down the road. All the best to you, and thanks again for the conversation. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Good to have had you on.